So skateboarders, professional skateboarders, we don't make a lot of money at all. Uh, so that was kind of the first hurdle that I picked a career that had no longevity and I wasn't making like basketball money where, you know, when this thing was over, I was good. And so in the beginning, you know, I took the approach and I did have phenomenal guidance when I first started, which was live like I am completely broke, like in the gutter, live off nothing so that I could put as many dollars as I possibly could into investments. And if I could do that long enough, even if it doesn't support my income, uh, it's going to be somewhat of a cushion as I move into the next thing. Welcome to a Father's Flame podcast today. We have in studio Mikey Taylor, who some of you may know as a pro skater, but is now making his mark as he's sharing his entrepreneurial journey and investing strategies on social media. He is the co-founder of Commune Capital. Uh, welcome to a Father's Flame podcast, Mikey. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. So I know you made a pretty big buzz. I first saw you actually on TikTok, um, which is kind of a unique place, you know, for influencers to go. Uh, how has that been for you? You, you know what? It was, uh, it took time for me to figure it out. Like, I, you know, I, I was, I kept hearing about the platform and, you know, I'd go on and feel so lost in it because it felt just like a kid's dance app. Sure. And then I was like, okay, like I'm going to try to like use it the way I use Instagram or, you know, YouTube. And it was just failing. Like I just, it, nothing would work. And then all of a sudden I had one video pop and I was like, holy crap, this is crazy. Uh, and then it got to a point where my TikTok following almost became larger or was creating more energy than any of the other platforms. And, and then I was like all in on it. I was like, this is the sickest thing, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. So would you, is that your main platform or is it still Instagram? Basically how I treat them, I build everything with TikTok in mind because their algorithm does such a good job at showing your content to an audience that doesn't know you. So it kind of like filters out good content from bad. And then the good performing content I then put on all the other platforms. So it's TikTok first and then funnels down through, you know, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, all the rest. Okay, that's awesome. So you got over the hurdle of thinking that this is for like a kid, a kid's app or something, the dance app. You know what? I, I got over it and then now it's like completely changed. It's like it doesn't even feel like kids are at TikTok anymore. I feel like they're all on like be real now, you know? Sure, sure. Well, so let's let's dive into your story real quick. Um, you kind of got your fame growing up being pretty good at skateboarding and, and becoming a pro skater. Briefly, how was that journey like where you How'd you come into that? And then where did you transition into where you are today? I mean, it could be a long story too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I started, it, it was a very like unplanned and kind of just natural evolution into it. Uh, I picked up a kid, I picked up a skateboard when I was a kid, uh, thinking nothing of it, fell in love with it, did it every single day, all day long, and just didn't want to stop doing it. And so Right around 16, right around the time I was 16, my parents were pushing me to get a job and I didn't want to work. So uh, I figured out how to get companies to give me free products. And then, you know, the idea was if I can get companies to give me free shoes and skateboards and clothes, I'll never need to buy anything I need. And then for money I need outside of skateboarding, I could sell some of the stuff to like other skate kids. And 
that's basically the path I took. I, I ended up getting, you know, three companies to start sending me free stuff. And then that supported me for about two years. Uh, and then I got the opportunity to start traveling the world. I started getting paid to be a skateboarder. Uh, and then that became kind of my first, I guess, career. Interesting. And so would you say like some of that, that entrepreneurial thoughts um, began at that time of like, hey, what resources do I have? How do I get what I want? You know what? Looking back, yes. Like at that age, I, I didn't even you know know what an entrepreneur was. Uh, but I was kind of always, I, I always felt like if I needed something done, I can go out and do it. So I, I think there was that idea of, you know, creating something. Uh, and then as I went into skateboarding, skateboarding is a very kind of entrepreneurial uh, activity, actually. Uh, the problem is it's, it's more like aligned with like a solopreneur than it is like somebody who's actually going to build something at scale. So, you know, as I went into skateboarding, I only had to worry about me. It was how do I want to skate? What's the you know tricks I'm going to put out? How do I negotiate my deals? It was this one man show that was then supported by other companies, but I, I had no skill set or understanding of how to work with people. So that is something I really, really had to learn. Uh, that, you know, business is all about team and it's all about delegation and uh, ultimately managing, managing people and emotions correctly. Uh, that was such a learned thing that that was hard for me in the beginning. Interesting. So what was the step to, did you earn enough skating where you could like invest now and you're like, it made you have to go learn that? Um, or did you have like a mentor come in and say, Hey man, look, Mikey, you got to you got to do something with this. Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good question. So skateboarders, professional skateboarders, we don't make a lot of money at all. Uh, so that was kind of the first hurdle that I picked a career that had no longevity and I wasn't making like basketball money where, you know, when this thing was over, I was good. And so in the beginning, you know, I took the approach and I did have phenomenal guidance when I first started, which was live like I am completely broke like in the gutter, live off nothing so that I could put as many dollars as I possibly could into investments. And if I could do that long enough, even if it doesn't support my income, uh, it's going to be somewhat of a cushion as I move into the next thing. That was kind of the, the plan. And then I got uh, the opportunity to ride for the shoe company and they were kind of going through a transitional kind of moment where they wanted to rebuild their entire team marketing, design, kind of, you know, the, the whole front facing element of the company. And they wanted me to come in and kind of lead that uh, mission in a sense. And that is kind of where I had my first experience of not knowing how to work with people. And, and you know, I went into this, you know, for example, I, I went into like an office full of designers and, you know, we're getting samples of shoes. And instead of me knowing that like, for a designer who just spent a ton of time building something, I probably needed to say, parts of this are great. I recognize the hard work you did. These are some of the things we need to change. I looked and went, this shoe is shit. Like, what are we doing here? This isn't what we talked about. Why do these things keep coming back wrong? I'm throwing shoes in trash can. It was a mess, right? Oh, wow. And I got a call, like the, this moment that I'm talking about, I got a call that night from the president of the company. And he was like, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I'm basically like telling him like, look, dude, this is what we're here to do. And this is the standard. And none of this is, is, is great. 
Like everything we do is good, right? And he's like, dude, I, I get it. I love the passion, but like you have to mellow out. And there was an element of that where I was young, I was a little bit naive, and I didn't fully understand what he was telling me. Thank God, because I heard that and went, okay, I'll always be viewed as a skater to these skate companies. I need to go create my own thing. That, the only way I'll ever be able to push the way I think I, I can is if I own the company. And that is actually what led to me starting my first company was that kind of tra that transaction or interaction. And then I had to learn people. Uh, the first company that I ever started that really led to that was uh, a company called St. Archer. It was a craft brewery in San Diego. Uh, I learned almost everything uh, as we started that company. Um, that was the, the college education I never had. Okay. Well, that's neat. And I know you had recently also posted that Jamie Tom Thomas was one of the influences too, where you saw him uh, do something more. Right. And these skaters. Right. Um, right. So that's pretty cool. That So you saw some people do it, but that was your journey to maturity yeah. too. Yeah, I did. Like, I, I was always attracted to the skaters that like own things. I, I just thought it was like, I thought it was rad. And it was so like uh, against the grain because, you know, skateboarders or, or the perception of skateboarders is that we're not that bright. We're not that smart. We're not that capable. Uh, we just know how to ride a skateboard. And so when I saw skaters like actually doing like real life <laughs> activities, I just thought it was cool. And so I, I was always attracted to that, but being attracted to it and actually doing it are two different things. Uh, I, I had to learn how to do, you know? Interesting. And so let's, uh, so you got, you learned people um, at the craft brewery found, uh, startup or was it a startup? And then, uh, so wh where are you at today? Um, now with things so business-wise yeah business-wise and i know you have you know a new endeavor with the city council that's that's pretty cool so right. congratulations on winning thank that. you thank you yeah. so uh from the brewery we we ended up selling our brewery to molson coors in 2015 from that is when i started commune in 2017 uh and Commune today, we're a private equity real estate firm. So basically, for those that don't know what that means, our company goes out and raises money from investors. And then we take that money uh, and put it into assets, primarily multifamily and storage. Uh, we have a lending portfolio as well. So we have three different kind of, let's call it, uh, lanes. And then as we perform on the assets, uh, the investor makes a return and then our company gets to participate in that return. And that's ultimately how our business gets revenue uh, to have a functioning business. Uh, to date, we're managing about, gosh, a little over $200 million of commercial real estate, getting close to about 250. Um, that is basically my 24 seven uh, all day long activity is commune. Uh, and then the newest uh, <laughs> venture or whatever you want to call it, it's almost like a side hustle, is uh, I ran for city council in uh, Thousand Oaks. Uh, and I won. Uh, I got sworn in last week. And so uh, I'm technically uh, part of the community now as well, public sector and private sector. So well, that's so interesting. So what was that motivation to say, I'm going to go get involved in this? You know, it's almost, it's not politics, but it's like that beginning side yeah. of it. Yeah. It, it uh, you know, it, it's funny. Like 
a lot of the things that I end up doing that I end up having success in, the only reason why I did it is because I was somewhat naive of understanding what it really entailed to do. Uh, it, yeah, I was the way with craft beer industry. Uh, I was away with creating, you know, a private equity company. Uh, the the campaign element of running for city council, I didn't realize how brutal a campaign was. And I had kind of the idea like you, like, dude, city council, like you're in charge of land use. You're, you know, managing budgets and contracts. And, it, it, you know, on its face, it seems very much like helping run the business of the city, right? And the politics side, it's like, nobody cares if, if that piece of land is going to be a multifamily apartment or a mixed use, like you don't have to be a Republican or a Democrat to understand that. Right. It's like sure. what trash service we use. Like a lot of this stuff doesn't matter. Uh, I was blown away with how partisan the campaign actually was. Like I, I went in going, these are the issues and I'm, this is what I'm here to do. And it was like, you know, it very quickly became nasty all around me. I was like very thrown off by that. Um, and then the amount of time it took, like you're running a campaign, it was six to eight hours a day. And that was on top of my business. Uh, but one thing about me, man, when I go do something, I, I do not quit. I, I do not like losing. So if I would have known what it would entailed, maybe I wouldn't have said yes. But once I said yes, I was like, okay, here I am. Let's go. Well, that's awesome. So that's pretty fresh for you, but where do you kind of see that political career going? I mean, is that the kind of. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. Yeah, I don't okay. know. Yeah. Um, I, I'm getting that question a lot. Uh, I'm one foot in front of the other, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll see what let's do comes this. up. Let, yeah, let's do this. Let's see uh, what what I have to get used to. I'm already experiencing this now, working with kind of the city. Uh, I'm so used to being able to implement change quickly, right? Like in our company, if there's something that like I think we're doing wrong. I have the ability to go, nope, turn, let's go. Uh, that's not how this works. So th there's going to be an element that I'm going to kind of be getting used to, which is things move very, very slowly compared to what I'm used to. And I'm not the one that's actually driving the, the, the issues in some regard. Uh, you know, we vote on, on certain policy, but I'm one of five votes. And a lot of times the things we do today, you don't see for potentially years down the road. So uh, I want to come in and actually do good. Uh, if I, I, we'll see how that goes, and we'll see if uh, you know I can get good with the patience of how slow things work compared to what I'm used to. And yeah. if I can, and we can see positive change, maybe I maybe I do it longer. Maybe this is the beginning of something. You know, if time goes by and I'm like, this is this is really hard to do anything, and this is you know. I, I need to be the driver. I don't know. We'll see. Sure. Yeah. It's going from like quarterback to now you're kind of just one of the linemen, right? You all got. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, right. Well, that's interesting. So yeah, you got a lot of time management. You probably need to balance now. Um, right. Which, so recently I put out to my Facebook page, just like, so what are some of the tough things as being a dad? And so I want to transition a little bit since you are a father of what, four. Right. And, uh, so how, so what I put out, a lot of people put, put back to me, time management was really tough because I'm out here trying to provide for my kids, right. but also then be with my kids. So how do right. you manage that? 
yeah, this is the, this, this is the, the hard part. Uh, and th this has been learned. This is something that I did not do well. Uh, I think it starts with understanding our responsibilities, especially as fathers. And it's very easy for us to only focus on the providing element. And at least for me, I'll speak for myself. It's really easy for me to focus on the providing element. And I would forget the importance of what my role as a father is. Like I'm, you know, for my daughters, you know, I am the example of what a man looks like in the world and, and how my wife and I and our relationship are, that's their example of what a healthy relationship looks like. And then for my son, you know, I, I'm, I'm the view of, of what a man is for him to, you know, have an idea what to grow into. Uh, we neglect that part. It doesn't matter how much we provide. You, you, you're, you're missing out on, on what I think our highest calling is, which is to build our kids up to thrive in, in their community. Uh, once I kind of, you know, had to continuously remind myself of the priorities and, and focus on that. That's when the time delegation, you know, got better. Uh, but it took time and there was little things, right? Like I got to a point where my time delegation was pretty good in the sense of, you know, I'm leaving the house at eight 30. I'm going to leave my office at five. I'm home at five 30 and all of that window from five 30 till the kids go to bed or I go to sleep. And even the mornings before I go to work, that's my family time. But my challenge was even when I was home, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm on the phone. I'm, even if the phone's not you know, in front of me, I'm thinking about you know, a lot of times what's going on with the company. And so my body was there, but I wasn't present. Uh, so once you get through the time blocking and, and making sure you're at home a certain percent of the time, uh, it's really good to have, let's call it uh, guidelines on, on how present you are, right? Like, when we sit down for dinner, my phone, I can't even have my phone at the table. It's, you know, six to eight, there's no phone. Uh, and then even in that, I need to make sure I'm having certain conversations with the kids. Certain percentage of time goes towards like playing with them. Uh, and then once I got it scheduled, then all you have to do is maintain it. Well, yeah. So you had to like defend, you mentally defend the time that you allotted for them. Cause I've found the same thing. I think it's like the right thing. Okay. Yep. I schedule this time with them, but then right. That, you're right. The phone draws you away and yeah. there's so many things to process as like an entrepreneur because you got deals in the work, you got paperwork coming, you got everyone sending you stuff. So right. I, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I think it's I very think valuable. I think another thing to add to, which is important is everyone listening to this is going to know what they personally struggle with because a lot of this is based on personalities, right? My personality is one that's, you know, kind of, I'm all over the place. Uh, I'm obsessive. And when I think about things, it's, it's, it's very much tunnel vision, right? And so because of that, I fall victim to, uh, having to force myself to not only dedicate the time, but then to push myself to be present. Other people don't struggle with that. You know, some people, there's other things that get in the way. That's just the one that, that, that is for me and where I need to uphold it. No, I, I like that. Uh, I see like, that's part of how I've always learned from other people, right. And, right. and other men, it's like, it's not that if you're just like me in that area, that doesn't necessarily stand out, but it's the way you stand out in areas that I'm weak in that I love learning from other people, you know, and that, that is a part of the podcast too, is like, I, I'm talking to people and trying to get out, um, the things that they do 
that I can learn from, but I know people watching are going to learn from it. And it's the people, and I relate to you too, that have those weaknesses are going to relate to that strategy that you just, you know, implemented and it is successful. So that's awesome. So where, where do core values kind of fall in your family? Like is, um, is that, I know some people can design home structure and values kind of like a business has core values. Right. And, um, let's talk about core values for your family. Or is that yeah, where do they broad? come from? Like, no, no, no. Yeah. Like, what's the source of it or yeah. what are the core values? What's the, let's go source of your core values. Uh, the source of our core values come from God. It, it, you know, my wife and I, and our view of, of why we're here and, and, and even the, the, the structure of our family and how it's set up is, uh, it's a very kind of biblical structure. Uh, and then, you know, from there that, you know, impacts, you know, how my wife are and I are together, how we are with the kids and, and hopefully how we showcase for those that, that know us, uh, what a successful marriage looks like, but that's where our foundation comes from. And so your, your faith, your Christian then. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And so what is, um, what is your, how does that play like day to day for you? Like I know different men handle like, okay, you said biblical values. Well, you probably got to read the Bible, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, right. how does that work into your daily life? If, if you don't mind sharing. Yeah. So, so my, my morning, so I'm the morning person. I'm, I'm the one who's up early. Uh, my wife's kind of the opposite. She's up late. Uh, and what that results in every morning, I typically get up for the kids uh, and kind of, I would say my consistent morning routine is a cup of coffee. And uh, I typically do about 30 minutes in the Bible. I try to go kind of book or verse by verse in, in a book until it's finished. And I move over. Uh, but I would say at least two days of the week, sometimes three, my wife will get up a little bit early and we'll do kind of a, a, a like a couple's devotional together. Uh, and then on top of that, my wife and I lead a marriage group uh, every Monday. So we basically pick a book in the Bible and uh, we have like our certain amount of, you know, verses or chapters we have to get through. And then we meet on Monday and then we go over it. So that's kind of our let's say like time spent. Um, and then my wife does something on Thursdays that's without me, like just like a kind of a women's group. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I see a lot of value in the waking up early and that's kind of like one of those times that of your day that you control the most, like there's the least amount of pressure for it because no one's up or (laughs) the kids are asleep. Right. 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 We have four, we have four right now. So it's like, Two or you know two and below, and so it's it's look it's action, it's loud, it's crazy. So it's yeah. it's nice to just have that you know either one on one time or time with my wife. Yeah, and you don't probably know what a whole night's sleep is like anymore, right? Sleeping through the night. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been, it's been a, a while. Been a so while. we have five kids, Mikey. Oh, we have five kids, and it's like I remember waking up in the middle of that like four years ago and just handling like some throw up and someone wet the bed, and it was like. I woke up so easy and we just did it. And I was like, wow, this is normal to me. <laughs> right. Right. You, look, you, you've got a better grasp on this than I do. Oh man. Yeah. So 
I'm like, I, you just operate at just not the peak anymore, but you still are going. Right. So, right, right, right. So that's awesome. I like what you guys are doing and you guys are, sounds like fellowshipping with other people, right. To build up marriages. I love that. Um, what, uh, are some of the values that you had in marriage? I mean, I guess, where did you learn that? Is, is it from, did you grow up a Christian? Your, 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 both your families were Christian or, uh, is this something you kind of came into later? How did that work for you? Yeah. So, so my wife, that, that was the case. My wife kind of grew up you know, in the church and parents, uh, that's all she knew from, from a young age. Uh, I grew up in a kind of a, an agnostic household. Uh, you know, one thing I always remember as a kid is like, I, I grew up in this area that there was a big Jewish community in, in my area. So a lot of my friends were Jewish. And I remember coming home, like, and asking my parents often, like, why do we celebrate Christmas? But, you know, a lot of my friends celebrate Hanukkah. And, like, they never gave me, like, a legit answer. And I remember just thinking that was so weird. And then, you know, down the road when I was, like, I don't know, maybe 13 or something like that, one of my friends in my neighborhood was, like, going to this summer camp. And he invited me to go. I had no clue it was, like, a Christian camp. It was the first time I ever heard about God and uh, Jesus and Christmas, like not Christmas, but I, I finally had a grasp of like what Christmas even was or what it represents. And then I remember going home like, wow, you're never going to you know, believe what I learned. And then, you know, from that point on is when, you know, my parents ended up starting to go to church and kind of our family, uh, at the same time was kind of, uh, learning about, you know, our faith and, and, you know, building that out. Uh, and then it was just like a kind of a journey from there. But I, I would say one thing that's been cool and I think unique, unfortunately, uh, my wife's parents are still together. My parents are still together. My sister's you know, husband, my brother-in-law, his parents are still together. My wife's two brothers, both sides' parents. It's like everyone's parents are still together. Uh, I think that was just like at the core, something really good to see in us uh, because you know, we and so many people have to go through divorce and, and, you know, what that leads to. So, uh, th that was really good to see at a young age. That's awesome that they, I'm guessing you, they just, you were, those values are instilled in you essentially by okay. seeing that example. And, and you're right. A lot of people don't get to see that since divorce is over 50% of marriages right. end in divorce. Right. Um, so what, do you even feel like there's stuff that you have to do to keep you from that? Or is it that your you and your uh -huh. wife's mindset is like, you know, okay, that's not even on the table. We don't mention it, you know? And, um, I, I, I have a good one for you. Uh, yeah. So first and foremost, for anyone listening, who's married, if you're going through a hard time where it's tough, that's normal, right? There's, there's, I don't think there's a marriage that exists that, you know, you don't have to work on. Uh, there was one time, early on in our marriage where my wife even said it like, maybe this isn't working. And the second that came out of her mouth, I was like, absolutely not with that. That is, uh, that is off the table. Uh, that I think is important, you know, but that doesn't mean that we didn't get to a point where our marriage was failing. And so, you know, there was a, there was a point for us. So seven years in and, uh, you know, I, I was traveling all the time. She was basically a single mom. I was going through just, you know, the challenges after skateboarding, of you know, identity and all that. 
And our marriage basically hit like an all-time low. Like, you know, I came home one day and, and Jen was like, I am miserable. Like, this is not what I want in a husband. This is not what I want in a family. And so that's kind of scared the crap out of me. But then we started kind of working on it from there. We both started going to counseling. Uh, we ended up going to like this marriage retreat. This is actually kind of huge for us. But really, we started working on our marriage. And what was cool is, you know, if, if it was summer of, let's call it 17, was a, like a winter season for us, a real low. The following summer, we were almost like in a summer season, like it, 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 speaking to our relationship, like it was like maybe the best year we had ever had being married. And so I, I say that through the lens of this, going through that process for us, as bad as it got, what we experienced on the other side was better than anything we had prior, kind of like a refining fire. And when, when you're able to experience the benefit of working through things, it encourages you, at least it did for us, you know, looking out to the future, knowing that we're going to have hard times in front of us. And there's going to be points in our marriage where it's, it's challenging. But we also know what it feels like to get through that time and where it leads to. Uh, it makes you very hopeful for the future because you don't have to worry about bad things happening. Uh, you can focus on what the outcome is as you move through them. I love that. That I mean, that should give people hope that even if you are in a dark time in your marriage and I have the same experience, very similar, right? Like it's not always going to be like that. Um, but right. maybe some of the skill you have at the time and the, the inputs into your life, like just are, they definitely cause that. So some of it is your fault. You got to take ownership of that. But if you can get new skills and you said that you went to counseling. And so, right. um, that's something that we did. And it was like, I've said this before on the podcast even, but this is so powerful that I think strong men do marriage counseling, right? In my mind though, I always like, I don't want to express failure and go do that. Right. That's a shameful thing to go get counseling, right. but it's where I got that. I have no idea, but I'm so right. glad that's gone. And I do want to encourage people because I saw the value in it. They help right. you work through something and give you skills that you just don't have right now. Right. And, uh, so that's good on you, Mikey, for so, somebody gave me this, this vision or, or representation of what we're talking about. They were like, look, when you buy a car, do you go get the car tuned up? Do you take it to the mechanic to make sure everything's working right? You take care of it. Counseling is the same thing. It's basically maintaining your guys' relationship and making sure you guys have all the tools needed to thrive, right? Uh, and so, I mean, we, we, don't, we don't only go when times are bad. Like, we'll, we'll just do, like, regular maintenance on it, you know? Oh, that's it good. Helps. It helps a lot, yeah. That is good. So... I'll be honest, part of my mindset too is I feel like I'm a little too frugal. Like I don't want to spend money on that was also a thing. Like not only did it show failure, but I didn't want to, for some reason, spend money on it because uh, I felt like it was a waste. I'm like, oh, we could figure this out. Uh, and my mind kind of switched to where the things that I value, like, you know how the Bible says something like where your heart is, like that's kind of where your pocketbook's at. You'll spend right. on the things that you care about. And I didn't do that like in my marriage and in, in those skill sets. I just didn't think that way. And so I, we've, someone blessed us with a marriage retreat weekend. That was really neat for our, like it's one of our wedding gifts. We've been married almost 14 years now, almost 15 in June. Um, but then when I started putting money in like to the counseling, 
and I didn't even think about doing it in the good time. So I'm glad you said that, uh, that, that hits me. Um, but it's like putting investment in not only wealth, but into relationships should cost you money. Right. right. And it's, and it's almost like, you know how the Bible, like every ministry, like we, some people think poverty is piety and being wealth is wicked, but, but really every ministry takes money too. Right. So you, if we were all Christians were like poor, like some people teach, then who is going to support ministries? Right. Even Jesus's ministry right. had a treasurer with it. Um, right. 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 So anyways, That's but right. it's, it's, it's putting your cash into places that you value to get an investment and a return. And so I'm definitely doing the considering right. the in the good times, yeah. get some. That's right. That's right. That's right. You <laughs> nailed it. It's an investment. Yeah, that's right. So, well, um, I feel like I want to kind of focus on a little bit of finances w with you, Mikey. Like if we could speak to the younger generation of people, right? They, they haven't chose their career yet. Maybe they're in high school, they're in college, maybe they're going in, in debt to do that, but, uh, or they got into a trade. Like what are some things that you want, would speak into somebody, um, in the 18 to say 24 years old, um, they're just getting going. They're not married. What are some core skills financially that you, uh, see that a man or a person should have? So, I would say, let's start here just with college. Uh, try to your best ability to figure out what you want to do first. Then decide if college is going to help you achieve that goal. Uh, too, too many people go to college not knowing what they're going to do. And then the big piece is they go into debt to do so. And then they put themselves in a position where the thing that they went to school for doesn't pay them enough to even pay back the debt or they end up doing something completely different. So if you're working through the kind of time of trying to figure out what's next, take a year off, take a gap year, uh, go travel, go get an internship, try to, try to, to the best of your ability, figure out what your skill sets are and what drives you and find an industry where you can pair the two together. Uh, that is then going to result into freaking great results. Uh, and then the debt side of it, don't take on debt unless you have to. Like if you have a, a, a career, you want to be a doctor, you want to be a lawyer, you want to be something where you have to go to school for, you have to go to debt into, go into debt to do so, but then the income generated from that career is easily going to pay it back, then all good. But if not, look at a, a, a community college, look at at different opportunities where you don't have to pay an astronomic amount of money to work a career that you don't even know you, you want to work. Uh, when it comes to finance, uh, honestly, for the youth, there, there's really two things that we see become the biggest hurdle. One, culture is doing a really good job teaching kids that they cannot achieve wealth, that the only way to do so is being born into it. And it, 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 kids are buying into it, that this isn't possible for them. Uh, if I could tell you anything, uh, it is possible. I, I, I was a kid who rode a skateboard. I did not make a lot of money uh, skateboarding. I never went to college. I'm doing something now that most people would say is impossible for a high school graduate that was a skateboarder to do. 
it is all possible, but you have to believe in it for it to be possible. Uh, the second part, because technology has become so advanced, we've gotten used to things being given to us very quickly, right? That just the, the instant gratification is everywhere now. When it comes to finance, it's the opposite. You do well when you learn how to delay gratification and when you stretch out your timeline, which is going to feel very unnatural. And so start to look at it through the lens of anything that is instant, that makes me feel like I can get rich quick. Uh, there's a 99.9% .9 chance you're going to lose all your money doing that. Uh, get rich quick schemes never work. The best investments are the boring ones. And so if you invest into something and it feels like you're watching paint dry on a wall, that's usually the good investments. Do you think there is because there is like they do work over time, but like you could pull your emotions out of that. You got to deploy your capital, right? Uh, and decide to do it. But uh, your get rich quick draws into that emotion, right? Uh, and then where you're kind of saying have a strategy and like in a mindset that that it's not emotional. So if you're, if you have to get pumped up for this investment, that's probably not the right thing. Right. Right. <laughs> Interesting. Learn, learn sales as, uh, when you're young, even if you don't want to go into sales, learn sales, uh, that will change your whole outlook on, on how people pitch things to you. Oh, cause you have the skill of it. So you're watching people sell you. <laughs> you're watching, well, you're just watching the tactic instead of, yeah. instead of the tactic hitting the emotion and you not realizing why you're being drawn towards something or ultimately saying yes to something. When you understand the tactic, you look at it through a different lens, right? Like if you're a writer or a movie producer, when you go watch a movie, you're not watching a movie the same way we do. We're there for pure entertainment. They're looking at every single element of the production, how the actors commute, right? It's just a different thing. That's good. That's because as I watch podcasts, I'm like totally dialed into what, what kind of right. mic they got? What, what right. are these transitions they're doing? That's so you're right, right on. So if you want to, if anyone wants to learn about, about sales, uh, read the book influence. It's okay. it, it goes over the psychology of the sales and how you get somebody to say yes. Uh, that'll be huge for you. Even if you don't care about sales, it'll save you a lot of money. <laughs> That's awesome. That's part of your due diligence. People I read the mm. book. Okay. So I like that you said uh, that culture was teaching you uh, to get this fast and get it right. Um, but it's also kind of teaching you that you can't get wealth, but you said you have to believe that it's possible. So what if, if, so, if someone doesn't believe it's possible, there's no way they're going to get that output unless they accidentally get a lotto ticket or something, right? right. So what, right. what, what changed your belief? I mean, it sounds like you're a guy that just walked into these, I'm not saying you're naive, but you like walked into these opportunities that presented you, uh, presented themselves to you, but when or what changed your belief? So, so I say that I went into things naively, right? But the other part of it is I went into things believing that I could do it. Like, like naively believing I could do it, but believing I could do it, right? Like when, when we, when we started the craft brewery, my two partners were my friends. We had no business experience at all. We didn't have any money. We had to build a business plan and go raise money. We had no idea what it really took to do so, but all three of us knew without a shadow of a doubt that we could do it, right? We, there was no doubt in our mind that we could succeed. 
Uh, same thing with this campaign right now, like, you know, going after I've already experienced success in multiple categories. I walk into this thing somewhat naively to think like, dang, this is going to be more difficult than I thought, but I thought for sure I could win. Right. Uh, there, there wasn't a doubt in my mind that I couldn't win. Then it ends. And I find out that basically somebody who runs for office their first time never wins. It's like never happens. It's usually the second or the third time. Uh, Look, I don't. I would never have even tried if I didn't believe I could do it. And at that point, I couldn't do it. Right. The this is the part though that that I'm constantly working on. Like just because I know that reality, your perception of reality becomes reality, that doesn't mean that I don't struggle pushing myself beyond what I think is possible. And I would say another book that's really good to read, uh, whether you love them or hate them. Grant Cardone wrote a book called Ten X. Uh, it's actually a perfect representation of, of what we struggle with as people, right? Mm -hmm. We typically set the bar where we think it's possible to hit. And if we're trying to like push our goals beyond, maybe we push it a little bit, but the reality of what's possible is usually 10 X what you think it is. Uh, you know, I'll give an example with our, our company. When we started St. Archer, we had to raise about two and a half million dollars to start it. And we had, gosh, almost a year to do so. Fast forward to my new company, the first project we did, we had to raise about $3 million for the first apartment, right? Except this time I had 45 days to raise the money because we had a project under contract. We had to raise the money before it closed. And I remember tripping like, oh my gosh, I, I've raised this much money before, but I've never had to do it on this you know, short of a timeline. Is it possible? And I was like, okay, yeah, it's possible, but I was kind of lying to myself. Well, we ended up raising the money, right? Now, dude, we raised 10x that in the, the amount of money we raised. I'm worrying is 3 million bucks in like a day now, right? And now I have to push myself to go, okay, if I'm comfortable raising, let's call it 10 million bucks for one project, I bet 50 million bucks is possible. That 100 million bucks is possible. So even I have to push myself based on sure. on, on where I think the, the, the bar is. Well, that's that's powerful. I I feel like a lot of the successful entrepreneurs and stuff, like they just have that, I'm not X factor in the sense that you got to see a belief that right. something's behind you, you can make it, right? And um is, is there people but that this is, speak? But, Go ahead. But th this is the thing, though. Y you're right. Yeah. What, what we see is that that person has the X factor. They have a belief system that's just unbelievable, right? What you don't see is what they're actually going through inside, right? Uh, I'm telling you right now, everyone, myself, anyone you look at, they're tripping inside. There's a part yeah. of us where we are lying to ourselves on what we truly think is possible. The crazy part is, though, just lying to your subconscious, you'd be blown away with how your body performs once it's just being told that it could do, right? And then yeah. you hit the goal and then you're like, holy crap, I can't believe I did that. Uh, so just know that everyone struggles with this, everyone. Uh, certain people are just telling themselves over and over till they just believe it. That's, it. That's powerful though, because you're talking yourself into it because a lot of people struggle with negative self-talk and I don't know where right. that comes from, but right. it's like, you're your own worst enemy. So if you could just put some belief in your own self, say some things that you want to achieve, right. you know, even if they're 
2x what you want to achieve, that's still better than you even speaking negative. Like, you know, and I think, you know, the Bible talks about renewing your mind. Um, that's a big part of it, um, is, is really transitioning your belief to what God says you are, right? To the principles that he gives you. Well, if he's backing up those principles, like uh, you're familiar maybe with uh, Deuteronomy 8, where it says, like, I'm the God that gives you the power to create wealth so I can fulfill my covenant with you. Like part of the Abrahamic covenant was that, like, if you walk in my ways, I'm going to bless you. I'm going right. to fill you up, you right. know? And it says Christians are still under the Abrahamic covenant. Like, people of faith. Like, so just knowing that he, you have this God that is behind you try a little bit. Right. right. And it's not to be like crazy, like, you know, right. Satan tempted Jesus to jump off a building, but it's like, no, try in the things he told you to do walk in character. He says you can go get wealth. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure how far you are in promoting entrepreneurship, but I think even Paul, the apostle, when he was telling people seek to be free from slavery, which is because job isn't in the Bible. Um, employment's not in the Bible. I learned this from a guy, Josh Tolley. Uh, it's really similar. A job is really similar to that. Like you choose mm -hmm. to be a servant to someone. Um, but he says, if you can get out of that, you know, and then in there's other places he says, work with your own hands to do good in your own business and, right. and live a good life. So, right. but anyways, but with that God behind you, like, what are you capable of? And so I think we need to elevate our belief. So I love that you brought right. that up. Right. hundred so, percent. Well, uh, Mikey, I, I got a question when I was <laughs> watching some of your videos and even you and your suit, when you got your like uh, ceremony to become a councilman, can you, I was picturing you, can this, can you still skateboard? Can you still like do those moves? Like, cause you're, you're 40 now, right? Yeah. Is yeah. that just, is that still part of your life? I'm really curious. Uh, well, it, it's a part of my life in the sense of, of, uh, it, 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 it impacted me to become the person I am today. Sure. Um, I don't skate that much anymore though. Uh, okay. that doesn't mean I can't. But a lot of the stuff that like you may have seen in the videos, I, I'm not, I, I'm not jumping down like twelve three handrail. Just like, oh, give me a board, I'll do it. Uh, but like, you know, I'll you know hopefully forever be able to you know tray flip and kick flip and all that stuff. Um, but no, it's I'm I'm not skating a few times a year. It's it's okay. Very very dismal, unfortunately. You should do a video with you in that really nice suit, just popping off on some rail there. And it's you like, know what? Oh, I, I <laughs> had this awesome. thought, like, dude, what if like we, we did like a photo shoot, like in the, uh, where, you know, you hold the city council and I'm like on the carpet doing a kickflip. And it's, <laughs> but I don't know how that would, uh, some people would like that. I think some people wouldn't. So I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. So if, since you're on city council, are you going to promote them putting the like metal pegs on all the stuff? So skaters can't like, you know, grind the rails. Have you, you know how cities do that? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a tough one. Yeah. 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 Plead the fifth here. Never mind. <laughs> Well, I just want to say thank you for coming on today. I think I think there's a lot of value there for for people, and I, I appreciate just hearing your story. You, you shared some, you know, struggle in there and and your success. So to me, thank you, Mikey, for for sharing that. So thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it.
Yeah. All right, fathers, uh, you know that I just want to encourage you to be pushing forward in these areas of the, the core areas of, of manhood and being a father, which is your faith, your family, your finance and fitness. Be learning every day in those areas, be putting energy into those areas so that your future self is going to thank you for taking that time uh, to listen to those podcasts, read the books, um, and to do the things to have better relationships. And so in them one year from now, so get out there and let's get it done guys.